and welcome to another episode of Behind the Mic. This is a Vent music podcast series hosted by me, Brody Cocker, and presented to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. In each episode of Behind the Mic, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the mic. My special guests for this episode of Behind the Mic are a band much in the same vibe as good friends of the pod, The Night Society, who both produce fun indie synth and indie rock bangers for your ears. La Mantra are a Scottish three-piece made up of frontman Ryan, who I'm checking in with on this pod, as well as guitarist and producer Jed and lead guitarist Scott. I came across them through their brilliant single The Glass, and in this episode, we discuss how the band came together, exploitation of artists in the music industry and the dark arts that go on that prevent bands from speaking about their negative experiences. For Ryan's mental health we discuss his diagnosis of autism which he says he has been able to mask relatively well throughout his life, how it's influenced his creativity and ability to make music and how taking medication allows him to remain balanced and regulate his emotions alongside his autism. We finish by exploring how music has been an outlet for him to express himself, channel his emotions and improve his mental health in a way that medication and other tools may not. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the mic with Ryan from La Mantra. Ryan, welcome to Behind the Mic. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me check in with you, mate. I'm a big fan of the indie rock indie synth scene whatever you would call it in the UK and I'm sure you know about Friends of the Pod the Night Society so it's great to have another band in this genre on the pod first of all how are you mate on this Friday morning yeah I'm good I'm good thanks it's my first day off for a week for my birthday week so uh I'm, I'm gonna take full advantage of this week <laughs> probably write some songs or something or just relax you know so I'm good I'm good excellent mate we've got loads of really exciting stuff to talk about on this episode and your mental health journey contains something I haven't discussed with an artist as of yet on the podcast. So without further ado, are you ready to start the show, mate? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's start behind the mic as we always do by talking about your music journey, right? So I ask all my special guests on this series this question first. Can you tell me and the listeners how your love affair with music began? Who are some of the artists that you listened to growing up? What impact did they have? And when did you first start singing or playing instruments? Uh, I started singing probably when I was like five. Like every time I would go to like school in primary one, my mum would put on this McFly CD and I'd just listen to it on repeat all the time and just sing along to it. But I actually started properly taking music seriously on the drums. I played drums when I was 10 and I got some lessons. I ended up getting quite far at quite a young age with that and they like, joined like school orchestras and stuff. That's when I joined my first like couple of bands and figured out like a bit about the music scene and, and how I liked it. This is the first band I've actually ever sang in. <laughs> Initially I was supposed to be the drummer of this band and then we had a singer, he was wanting to do solo stuff 
So then I was like, I'll give it a shot. And then we ended up just programming drums and bass and just staying as a three-piece. And somehow, yeah, somehow I went from the back of the stage to the front of the stage with zero prep time. <laughs> and uh, it's it's working, I guess. I don't yeah. know. You've done uh, the Anderson Pack route. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fun. It's a change. It's a breath of fresh air because, like, I always used to, when I was behind the kit, want to, like, be more of a front man and stuff and I would I would get a mic and I would speak to people and I would do harmonies a lot of the time my personality did shine anyway so I think being at the front and being able to really use that kind of moving around and stuff and interacting with the audience is a lot better especially Mm. live obviously Mm. let's talk about La Mantra now and how the band came together so how did the journey begin how would you describe your sound for the listeners who haven't heard of you and maybe the inspiration behind the name as the listeners can tell you're not Spanish yes (laughs) no we are not basically La Mantra I personally like the idea of (laughs) this is so this is so weird right because basically La Mantra is just kind of like it it means the chant but in two different ways languages mm-hmm. so la obviously is french for for the i think yeah well, la, la could be french or spanish <laughs> or, okay like, right yeah well well it's one of those definitely <laughs> that's how that's how much i've researched our name and really taken it seriously <laughs> i have no idea and then mantra is like i don't know where it's from but it, it means like chant or like you know if you've got a life mantra yeah sure like kind of like motto or something mm. it's very roughly translated to that and so you know essentially our, our name does kind of mean the chant it's like you know take it as like you know that but i mean it just kind of like flowed pretty well and i, I always liked the word mantra and the mantra just didn't really seem like as fun and also, I like the bands like Tame and Pala and mm-hmm. like Sundara Karma. I think those names flow really well. I like the way that La Mantra ended up flowing. And we all just kind of agreed and we stuck with that. I like it. I think it's interesting. But I don't know. There's some weird band names that <laughs> the band makes itself. Like, for instance, Catfish and the Bottle Men. You know? <laughs> like, if they didn't get famous, everyone would be like, that's a terrible name. But because they're famous, they made it so cool. Do you know what I mean? They made that name amazing by showing people who they are, I suppose. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, And so essentially, it just doesn't really matter your name as long as you like it and you really make sure that the music becomes your name. And then therefore, that's what makes the name so powerful. And as for the sound, what would you describe it as? Um, I suppose we're still learning that. We're still piecing that together you know every every song's kind of like they're slowly becoming more and more unique to us and they've always got that kind of like slight sameness where it's like oh you can kind of tell that's us but um you know every single song we're developing our sound more and more and really really honing in on what we want i suppose you could kind of just call it like alternate or electronic rock like a lot of it's programmed samples Mm -hmm. apart from the guitar and the vocals yeah i mean We've got influences as people, but I don't know. I suppose stuff like Chase Atlantic or like Breakins, like quite electronic, synthy pop, I suppose, mm. would, would probably be the closest to us. But mm. some of our songs don't really show that. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, I suppose 
and you know loads of artists come around and go oh yeah they were completely different and i'm not even trying to say that <laughs> i'm just like i can't even think who we're like so i'll leave that up to interpretation i suppose but we've all got different influences that changed us into the musicians we are and we just bring that in and i suppose mm. that's what makes it so strange <laughs> but it is just basic it's just pop with a bit of a twist to it i suppose and having known one of your bandmates jed since university how special is doing the band now and the shows that you've done with basically one of your best mates yeah i mean um I think that's about five years I've known him now, which is crazy. Maybe more. But yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. I mean, we've known each other that long, but we've been in different bands for years and years. And we, we kind of drifted away and stuff and then came back with this project. And there was a project before this that we worked on briefly. And then that kind of really brought us back together. And then when we left that to do this, that's when we really started flowing creatively and creating all this original stuff. Yeah, it's really, really good. I mean, I've been in bands before where you're friends to an extent, but it's kind of like after the band, you'll kind of just not really speak as much. And that's kind of it. But um, with this, it was like we knew we were friends before this band. We knew we wouldn't lose contact regardless of what happened in the band. And as much as we will, we will scream at each other, it's because we have this passion and drive for this band. And, you know, in a way, that's better. Like, I'd rather scream at my band members so that we can make sure that we get the best possible outcome for each song and really feel that we can be honest with each other. And I think without that, like, time of really getting to know Jed, that would have been hard, you know? It would have been like any other band I've been in where it's difficult to really put your honesty out there because it might diminish your professionalism with them. It's like, no professionalism here! Just two mates screaming at each other, making songs. And uh, I like it like that. I think it mm. needs to be that way. More you know? authentic, for sure. Yeah. One question I always ask on Behind the Mic Riot is about the realities of the music industry on artists for their audience or their friends or even their family who might not know and the mental health impact of that. Just tell me about your experience here and anything you'd, you'd like to discuss, whether that's you know work-life balance, whether it's about something else entirely. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's difficult when you're starting up getting that balance because, I mean, you got to work a lot to earn a lot because if you don't have money, being a musician <laughs> is, is almost impossible in this climate, which is stressful. I mean, mm. you know, I, a lot of artists have, are industry plants. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, we sadly aren't. So it's very difficult, but we get we get by. I mean, with audio, a big positive for us is that Jed, he produces all of our stuff. So we don't have to pay for studio time, which saves us hundreds and hundreds of pounds. But somehow we're still broke. Because, <laughs> um, you know, and it's funny as well, because one of our best friends who lives with Scott, their flatmates, is like an amazing photographer that does stuff for Vogue and stuff. So he'll like help us out as well. Still somehow broke. I don't know where the money's going, but it's going somewhere and it's going fast. And I'm fine with it, but it can be really stressful working like five, six days a week, grinding nonstop, barely having any time to yourself. And it gets nervous. You know, there's times where you start questioning it. Is it worth it? Am I making the right decision with this? All this time spent on it. But that's the difference between people that, I suppose I, I like to compare it to like stuff like the gym and stuff. With regards to that, 
I go to the gym pretty regularly. Sometimes I, I get like those moments where I'm like, no, I don't know if this is this is helping me. Is there any point to this? But it's the people that persist past that that will really see the results and stuff. And it's the same with music. You know, you got to move past those kind of those moments of vulnerability, I suppose, because you know it's your dream and you know that, you know, just quitting, you're never going to know. But if you continue, then, you know, only time will tell. Mm. So that's the difference, I suppose. You know, it doesn't matter about all the other stuff because everyone's doing it. Well, almost everyone as a musician has to do that unless you're like rich because it's it's the same for everyone it is this climate's hard and and money is not easy to come by and so putting it all on something that's a gamble is is a hard thing to do even if you love it but i suppose that's the risk you have to take if you want to get your music out there and really push it i suppose you know let's talk about live performance so take me back to your first gig as la mantra and that mental process before during and after the show oh my god it was absolutely awful <laughs> it was about two was it two years ago i don't know yeah first ever show i ever sang at it wasn't a completely different lineup jed was still there he was lead guitar though instead of Scott, and Scott was playing bass, and we had like the session drummer and one of our old members who left to do solo stuff, and then we stuck as a three-piece. I had the flu before this show, and I was in like the classic grand in Glasgow or something. No one knew who we were. We were supporting, I think, this fantastic act called Brawny or something. I'm pretty sure that was the show, because yeah, that was the show. I don't remember that much because I tried to black it out, honestly. But it's <laughs> it's worth it now because it's just so funny. We were trying to go, you know what? There's some people here. They don't know us. Let's make an impact. You know, we've got... What did we have? We had three originals. We had Crush, which is our first ever release. He's already released that. Uh, and funnily enough, our next single, which I'll talk about in a bit, was on that. It's called Wave Goodbye Mode. And that's what we're releasing next in like three, four weeks. So it's, it's ironic that I should mention this today. But we had those two and then this really terrible other song that we're not talking about. And then we had like two covers, I think. Anyway, I go in there and my throat's just not feeling it. And I'm just like, guys, I really think we shouldn't have pushed it in practice because I told you my throat was sore. I mean, it's on me. I should know my limits. But back then I didn't. And ever since then... I have made sure to watch my limits like a hawk because I'm never having this happen again. And it was about 50, 60 people there, give or take. None of them cared about us, but we wanted to make them care, obviously, as you do. You don't play a show to just not be remembered. You try and make an impact. And so that's what we wanted to do. So we decided, okay, everybody's set up and we have like an intro for Crush. And when the instrumental's coming in, I'll be off stage and then I'll run on stage. And then, you know... That'll be kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. So we were going to do that. And I was ready to run on stage. And when I walked on stage, and I'd love to hear Scott's perspective on this, but for some reason he was like sitting down. I think something, like not sitting down, like crouched down, but right where I needed to walk past. And it was already a small stage. I think either his snap, his string had snapped, uh, not string, strap had snapped that was holding his bass up. Or... Something was wrong with his wire. I don't know. I wasn't caring. I was in the zone. So I just like pushed him out of the way and he nearly fell. And like in front of all these people. So that was already like 
Wow, what a great start. I've nearly I've nearly pushed over Scott. He's been in my way. It's not been a you know really cool entrance. I've stumbled through all these people at this stage. And we go on and Crush is fine. We play a couple other songs. And then my throat starts feeling a bit raspy and I'm like, what's going on here? This isn't good. But anyway, I push for it a little bit. But by Wave Goodbye Mood, which is our final song, I can't sing at all. Nothing is coming out but just like shouting and screaming. And I'm like looking over at Jed like, you need to sing. I can't, like, I can't sing. Like literally nothing's coming out. But like, <sighs> like I've never had that before. Never had it again. The worst thing I've ever experienced. And it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> and I tried to sing some of the choruses. And I've seen the videos, tried to delete as many as I can. But it's absolutely tragic. I'm just shouting. And by the end of it, I was absolutely mortified. I'm surprised I didn't quit then. That was the first <laughs> ever show I did singing. That's what I'm saying about persistence. I should have quit then. Maybe. Maybe, you know, lo and behold, a lot of people would want me to, but I refuse. I refuse to quit that day, even though I can never look any of the people in that audience in the eye ever again. Or really look in the mirror efficiently again. Um, <laughs> it was an embarrassing show, but it's, you know, one of those things that, you know, kind of defines you and, you know, how you recover from that impacts everything. Because in the next show we did, was a lot better for me, but Scott's guitar kept cutting out and he ended up running off stage to try and get a new lead or something mid-performance. And then he was like crying in the back room after it. And I was like, that's really sad, Scott. But I did better this time. So, you know, silver light. Swings and roundabouts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't really feel that, though. He wasn't really that. No, because he, he wouldn't have the time, no. Yeah. But uh, no, the point is, you know, it was absolutely awful. And uh, that was our first show. Well, you've, you've answered my next question about mistakes and bad performances. So tell me what's been the best La Mancha show you've ever done and what it did for your professional self-worth and your wider mental health. Probably our last show. I mean, we've only actually technically done four shows as a band, but I would only really class the last two as like proper ones because... Obviously, the first one was disaster. The second one was pretty much a disaster as well. And we hadn't had anything released as a band. We, you know, we, we were still like figuring out our sound and stuff. But these last two, they were only a couple of months ago. And they were both headliners, uh, one in Glasgow, one in Edinburgh. And uh, I think those definitely defined us. Those are our first shows with like all the original material we have. And they were our shows, first ever shows we did that were that were actually ours to mess around with. And I really, really enjoyed them. We sold out the Sneaky Pete's one in Edinburgh. And I would say since that was our second one, we'd warmed up and we knew what we were doing. I would say that definitely, that definitely was probably overall the best one. But the one that probably impacted me the most was the first one. I was obviously far more nervous and we made a few more mistakes, but the crowd were just like screaming really enjoying themselves and the just the feeling of that energy to stuff that we've created it was so refreshing it's been a year in the making for us to do a show with this stuff so it really really honed in on okay this is starting to look like it's going to be worth it you know 
So I would say definitely those last two shows, and hopefully it goes up from there. But I mean, a sellout on your second show, I think that's pretty decent, you know? Um, I'm pretty happy with that. But yeah, no, those shows were great. I really enjoyed them, and it really gave me the first really proper opportunity to be a frontman and to really do what I wanted. You know, there are shows we can do what we want with them. Most of the people are there to see us. So, you know, they want me to be me and really see what that is. And so I was able to experiment a bit and uh, fully utilize my awful dancing skills. Well, you spoke about dancing skills there. What does the stage provide for you and your mental health? Um, I suppose it gives me some level of escape. But it's not just the stage in itself, it's just the position of being the front man of La Mantra. I suppose it's, it gives me the opportunity to be a kind of different person from just Ryan that works in a bar. And it's fun because I can explore all the things that I couldn't just standing on a bar. I can dress more creatively and really just kind of go outside the box and Maybe not right at this minute, but I feel like I can make a difference, you know, down the line if I put in the work. It gives me this platform that I can use to kind of show the world not only what I can do, but like, I suppose, I don't know, I've always had that kid inside me that kind of like struggled with his own like, oh, I have to keep this back. I have to, you know, because people will bully me, people will you know, make fun of me. But now it's like when when I'm on stage or when I'm, I'm like, make fun of me then, you know? I relish that when I'm on stage, you know? Because if you're making fun of me, you're talking about me. And if you're talking about me, then you're telling people about my band. And that's a win for me. No bad publicity is, uh, what's the saying? Like, all publicity is good publicity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that is exactly right. And, And I suppose in the aspect of this, it's like, it gives me an opportunity to stop caring about what mm. people think. I think a lot of people need that. And a lot of people don't know how to deal with that necessarily. Like, how do you get on stage and not care? I personally don't know how I do that. It just happens. But I'm so glad it does because the last thing anyone wants is to be in front of like 100 people that you know want to see you perform well and start caring. You know, because then you're just not going to... Yeah, I don't mean I don't care when I play. Just to clarify, I, I care. Obviously, I want the best for everybody that watches. But I don't care what people think. I go out there and I'm me. And maybe I'm a exaggerated version of me, but I'm whatever I wanted to be. You know, I just hope people enjoy that. But, you know, if they're going to slander me, then so be it, you know? It doesn't phase me anymore, and it and it gives me that opportunity to really hone in on that and push past the limits I had when I was younger. And um, which outlet would you say, out of songwriting, singing, or playing instruments, has the biggest impact on your mental health? God, um, I'd probably say, I'd probably say singing. I mean, I do like songwriting, but I only really feel those lyrics when I like sing them. You know. Like, I'm writing them, I'm like, ah, oh, these could be good, you know? These are these are decent. I'm not really a good guitarist myself, so my songwriting, like, when it comes to, like, writing chords or progression, pretty minimal. So I have to make do with what I can do. And a lot of the time I'll get Jed or Scott to help me, like, kind of create a more advanced 
progression or root within that and the lyrics will then come after that but yeah like when i'm feeling like emotional or like sad and i write lyrics that does help me through that first hurdle of like penning it down but sometimes i won't really see what i've written in a way like i won't really understand it until i sing it and then i'm like whoa I really wrote that. That's crazy. I didn't even think about it really until now. It didn't really hit me. So I suppose, you know, songwriting helps me create the foundation of healing. And then singing does the actual healing, to put it in better words. Let's talk about industry issues now, because the main one that you wanted to talk about is how artists, especially young artists, can be exploited in the music industry. Unfortunately, it's a tale as old as time but what specific things did you want to discuss here and how do they impact artists mental health and perhaps yours too i mean obviously i've not i've not necessarily been in the business that long so obviously other people would probably have a way better understanding of it but you know there's quite a few people out there that you see a lot of stuff but don't really back it up or it's difficult to trust people because Mm, so many that's come up a lot in the series mate for sure yeah, it's like even other musicians, but like most of the time they're they're like helpful and you can build that kind of community. So it's not too big a worry. And you can kind of see their facade pretty early on yes, and know yeah. because it's it's harder for them to fake it even behind the scenes. But with these like, you know, anything from promoters to producers to I don't know, just anyone that says they're wanting to help you. You've always got to wonder, are they? Are they really just wanting to help themselves? And that's fine. Obviously, everybody should be out to help themselves as well. But I'd rather people were just honest. And it's difficult to tell if they're being fully honest or if they're lying through their teeth to get you to give them some money. And then they'll see what they can do. It's difficult as well for promoters. Well, not difficult for them. Difficult for musicians when Mm -hmm. it comes to promoters. Because so many people out there that will give you an email like, oh, you know, I've heard your music. Absolutely love it. Give us seven hundred pounds, and we'll, you know, do all this stuff. And then they'll, you know, they'll go into this whole thing, and you're like, "That's great," but is it going to happen? We'll only know if we give you seven hundred pounds. That's crazy, you know. And and I suppose you can vet them and stuff, and obviously you have to do that sort of stuff, but. A lot of the time, even when you vet them pretty thoroughly, it's it's difficult because, you know, promotion companies prioritize promoting other artists. So does Spotify now. (laughs) Yeah. I think personally, good promoters should also have a decent promotion of themselves as well, right? Like, you know, if you're sitting on like 100 followers as a promotion group that's offering like hundreds of thousands of streams for an artist, for a song, you know, release. It's like, how are you going to do that? And if you can, that's great. But like, you're, you're coming at me with yeah. all this stuff and your your social media is like not even there. Like, how, how can I trust that, you know? Build yourself before you, you try to build other people because then you're way more trustworthy. I don't know. I think that these are the littler things that I've noticed, but I just wish people would just be a bit more transparent. And yeah. I mean, that's not just in the music industry. I suppose that's everywhere. <laughs> people are just fake. But, you know, it's difficult when you're already low on funds 
and you've got a lot of people giving you a lot of words that mm. sound great and you know a lot of like i've worked with this guy and this guy and it's like you know i've learned to realize that the more somebody swings about names instead of swinging about their own accomplishments you know in a sense it's like oh yeah we've worked with this i suppose that is a, an accomplishment but like it's more like if you're talking about other artists and what you know their names and how big they are and stuff more than you're talking about like what you'd like to do for us and yourself then it's like it just feels like you're just bragging and a mm. lot of the time i don't believe that somebody that has to brag about their accomplishments is usually hiding something in my opinion in this industry and it's always it's always a dangerous game trusting anyone mm. that isn't you know people that are really really close to you in your own band so I've, I've always made this rule never trust anyone apart from the two of those guys 100 percent with anything but then you get into contracts and then you have to they're never worded easily to read yeah they're, they're you know it's, it's almost like they like to do that i know it's like you have to write it in law and stuff but it's like damn you know you're really not making it easy for me to trust you when you're you're writing this out in what feels like a different language. Like, I have no idea how to make sense of this. I have to ask somebody that does law just to read it. It's like, man, why can't we just read this and then agree to it? Why do I have to get a whole side thing sorted, have like seven phone calls just to make sure you're not completely tripping us up? and stealing everything we have it's difficult mm. it really is i put out a tweet last week i think saying when i get to actually talk to them i can count the number of negative experiences i've had with artists on one hand i can count the number of positive experiences with music industry figures on one hand make it make yeah. sense <laughs> no it's terrible it's terrible i don't know yet but i can't imagine it gets much better on the upper echelon the only mm. difference would be that the bragging is actually legitimate. Like, oh, I've worked with this person. Yeah, they probably have. But, you know, when you're down here at the bottom barrel and someone says they've worked with, like, Jay-Z, you're starting to think, nah, I don't know if you have, mate. You're here, <laughs> you know? It's like, that's great. But even if you have, I'd argue if you have, it's worse because that means you got to that level and just didn't do anything with it, you know? Like, Jay-Z, what's next? La Mantra? No, don't think so, mate. It's like, nah, I can't be bothered with it. It's it's so, so fake. It's obnoxious. Just tell me what you want. You want my money? That's fine. You think you can achieve something with it? Eh, I don't know. Okay, at least you're honest, you know? Before we reflect, mate, what advice then would you give young artists like yourself listening to this who are worried about a particular contract or they're worried about someone emailing them, you know, for that exploitation reason, who need some guidance and what not to do when navigating the industry from your experience? Obviously, you've got more to learn, but just from your experience so far. You always have that gut instinct when you're on the phone to them. You can tell who's kind of genuine. Some people are very good at acting, so never trust yes. that 100%. But there's some people that are just so fake that it's like, man, you really need to work on that. You're never going to get some business, <laughs> you know? There's some people out there that are really good at selling, oh, I'm so wholesome, you know, look at me. But then they're not. But you'll never know until you try with those ones. Those are the difficult ones. But what I would say just generally, because the easy ones to spot, remove them. You don't need to deal with them. 
the ones that are harder to spot, but you're still, eh, I don't know, you know. If they send you a contract, you got to get a lawyer. Don't trust yourself with those fancy words. Mm. Never a good idea. I don't know if you need to pay someone. Luckily for me, I know some people that I've had a look at it, and they maybe aren't fully-fledged lawyers, but, you know, they're either, they're either studying it or they've worked in a different type of law. But they know they know how to read a contract. And so just get someone that knows how to read a contract and all these fancy words and just get them to skim through it, kind of see the, the general stuff. And if you really trust this and trust the process, you've got to get moving with stuff. Maybe haggle the price if possible, because obviously you want to want to minimize the damage that they could cause to your like to your future if they don't give you what you need. But I think you know at this stage, like at the lower stage, you're always going to make at least one mess up with you know with your finance or with trusting the wrong person. You just got to make sure that you do your best to alleviate the damage that that could cause. So always do everything you can to vet that person, check their socials, try and dig in little things like, you know, if you notice they've said someone they worked with and you might be able to contact them, maybe do that. You know, you could contact one of their previous people that they've represented, get their opinion from them. Why are they going to lie? If they mess them up, then they'll tell you that's them done, you know? Just do whatever you can in the moment to find out more about them. And if you feel like you've done everything you can after that, as stupid as it sounds, you just got to take a gamble with it. Then I think, yeah, the only advice I can give you with that sort of stuff, because you'll never know 100% till you till you try it, is really do your best to do everything you can to look into this person. When you've found every corner that you can and nothing's coming up 100%, you, you got to make the choice then, okay, do I want to trust this person with my money or do I want to keep looking? There's no harm in keeping looking, but, you know, it just depends on, you know, if you've got a time crunch for a single, all that stuff. I th the thing is, at this stage, a lot of people, they're not just going to like, it's not like a fool scam. They're not just going to take your money and then block you and stuff. It's like they don't do that. But like some people will just promise thousands of streams and get you hundreds barely you know is what i mean so it's like you know you're still going to get something but is it going to be worth your money you, you never know let's reflect on your music journey then mate so so far what has it taught you about yourself um so my my music journey has is, is taught me <sighs> absolutely nothing no i'm joking um <laughs> and we're moving on <laughs> yeah no how dare you no i think Starting on the drums and then going to, to singing definitely taught me that, like, I suppose mentally I put myself at the back to kind of, like, be invisible in a way because I was always nervous back then of what people thought of me and stuff and people's opinions. So being at the back gave me that opportunity to hide. But I also noticed that my personality seeped through that. You know, I would, I would want to speak to people on stage I'd want to do backing vocals. And so even if maybe part of me wanted to stay in the shadows, another part of me couldn't stay in the shadows. So it, it made me realize that, you know, something inside me really just wants to just have fun with it and not care. And when I was able to hone in on that, 
everything was just so much better and so much more fun. So that's I think that's definitely one thing. I think it's also taught me, you know, to be less trustworthy of people, you know, like always have your wits about you. Not just in this, but in, in everything. Don't be such a pushover. People will try. Again, this is just a life lesson for everything that, that being in the music industry has taught me. You know, don't let people treat you like bad. Watch your own back because if you don't, nobody else is going to kind of thing. I mean, you've I've got two band members and stuff and that's great. But if I'm supposed to be the front man, I'm supposed to be the one that, that really does most of the talking. So I need to be able to be, you know, be firm but fair with it, you know, not take people's like slander when I when I don't have to, but also realize that people are going to hate or love my music and stuff. And that's good. So you just got to pick your battles. I used to be quite an angry kid. So if I didn't get this kind of like mental state, then I'd probably just be every single hate comment, just responding to it. And I don't want to do that. That'd be awful. <laughs> I take a lot of time if we do get big, you know, just thousands of hate comments, and I'm just there. Like, we've got to write songs right. No, there's, there's another comment here. I need to <laughs> figure out what to say here. But um, yeah, I think it's taught me to, uh, it sounds so edgy, it's taught me to love myself and to stop caring about other people's opinions because, regardless, you know, if you do what you want or what they want, they'll always find something to judge you on. And so you might as well be judged for having a good time and being you. I'd rather be judged by that than being fake, you know, being boring. Imagine being judged for being boring. That sucks. It's a terrible thing. No, I'd rather be judged for being too entertaining. That's it. That's what I'm going to be judged for. We talked all about your music journey. Let's go behind the mic and talk about your mental health journey, Ryan. So I ask all my special guests on this topic, this question first. Tell me back to early life, childhood, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Ryan we meet here? So, you know, I had a lot of like personal kind of like trauma and stuff, but I think most people have their own stuff, whether it's better than mine or worse than mine, I'm not to judge. Everybody has stuff that defines them. I won't necessarily go into details of like the stuff that happened. I'll just, I'll sure. Because it's like, you know, nobody, nobody wants to hear that. That's awful. That's not awful, but it's just, you know, kind of not great. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll say more about like my like disabilities and stuff, what happened with them and, and how I dealt with them, I suppose. So, so when I was like really young, like four or five, people kind of realized like this guy's running around. He's, he's on the walls. It's crazy. What is this guy doing? And so they took me to the doctors and I first got diagnosed with this ADHD, which is like super common now. Like everybody has it. Everybody in their cat has this. It just shows how, I don't know what happened to like to my generation. They're absolutely crooked, man. They just got everything. I don't know what, what happened to us. So, it's such a shame. We're all done in by something. All, Qu- all quite, a few, quite a few artists I've interviewed have ADHD or ADHD yeah. traits, mate exactly it's it's crazy we're all I, as i said i don't know what our parents and stuff were on but <laughs> they were on some stuff man I, let me tell you there's there's no way like all of our brains got this fried just by coincidence you know <laughs> i just there's nothing there's nothing that will make me believe that but 
Yeah, so I got diagnosed with ADHD. You know, that didn't matter to me. I was still running about. They gave me some tablets. Who cares? You know, they didn't do much. Still running about. People in my class didn't like how much I was running about. And so they would, you know, make fun of me and stuff. And it would make me kind of like self-conscious. You know, a five-year-old is self-conscious. It's just pretty, pretty crazy, you know. But nonetheless, I was still hyper. So as much as I didn't like it, I would still be running about, you know. Be running about, but with a little less speed, I suppose. And I don't know, somewhere along the lines, they were like, this guy's a bit more, this guy's a bit more messed up than just ADHD. Let's check this. So, you know, I had loads of tests and stuff and people figuring out what was wrong with me. Yeah, at some point, the old autism card threw in. So, yeah, I started getting the old list, getting a list of things that I had. You know, they just started piling up, you know. Little things as well, like asthma and stuff like that. And there's this thing called ODD, which apparently just means that I, like, defy people. That's literally it. (laughs) A dislike of authority. Yeah, (laughs) like oppositional defiance disorder. That sounds like any punk artist. Ever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like any 15-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. I feel like you just added that for no reason. I don't Just for banter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's add some more letters to his, like, already flowing chart, you know? You know, as I got older and stuff, I think when I went into high school, it was kind of like a big difference because I went from being this hyper crazy kid to just dead silent, I guess the change of environment really messed with me and I just barely spoke to anyone I don't remember if before I went into high school this happened but I had like no appetite from my tablets so I'd barely eat anything I would just be so like invisible and that was my high school for like a good couple of years maybe like three four years I couldn't even speak to females they were like whoa no thank you you know i still struggle now (laughs) yeah i mean i yeah i mean i don't i don't struggle speaking to them but i struggle with them speaking back to me right normally normally i'm like hey and then they're like yeah i don't think so i'm gonna go you know but it's fine i'm used to it now they're all gonna rue the day when i'm when i'm big shaking fist at cloud (laughs) no they're they're not gonna do that they're gonna be like yeah that's good that he has money but He's still him, so no, I'm okay with that, you know? But, yeah, no, back then I was just so shy. I couldn't speak to anybody. Well, I could speak to some people, obviously. But, like, it's, it's just difficult, you know? I couldn't shake this feeling of, like, I don't know if I'd call it anxiety. I wasn't stressed. I was just shy, like, really shy. Mm. And it's crazy to think that because... I just don't. You're not now. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know how I can shake that, but I just couldn't. And then, I don't know. I started making singing videos on Facebook with this guy called Callum that I'd met. He was a really sound guy. He really helped me like come out my shell, the old glow up routine. And he wasn't necessarily liked by that many people either, but he did it because he wanted to. And I really, really rated that. You know, I thought this guy. You know, he looks class and there's loads of girls that are like obsessive and stuff. But, you know, most most people in my school and that like making fun of him because he's like, oh, you know, he think he's so up himself and stuff. But I knew him. I knew he wasn't that up himself. 
you know. He was up himself enough, but he as he should have been. He's a good-looking guy. He's a great singer. And I just kind of, like, relished I Like, not relished. Like, I envied that. But he wanted to be my friend. He saw some of my videos and went, I'd like to work with you. And hanging out with him really gave me confidence. And, you know, I started to dress better and feel better. And just as that confidence was hitting, of course, boom, you know, life likes to hit you in the face. And instead of getting positive comments on my videos, I was getting mostly people tagging their friends that were clearly making fun of me in private, you know, and like the occasional person that had the balls to actually give me some hate, which is crazy. I mean, it's like I would argue, right, that I would prefer you just straight up commented saying you're trash, stop singing, than tagging your friends and then me never knowing what's been said, but me knowing there's bad things being said. Like I hate That's almost that. worse, I feel. Yeah, mm. like, because then it's like, I know there's people in my year and years near me talking so much slander about me and laughing at me. But then they'll comment stuff like, amazing work, man, and then tag their mate. You should check this out. And I'm like, I know, like, I'm trying to build a persona. So I'll comment being like, thanks so much, man. Hoping maybe they'll feel bad and stop. They won't. But, you know, maybe if I block it out and sort of pretend I don't know and look gullible, you know, maybe they'll feel a bit bad about it and simmer it down, you know, rather than reacting to it. So not only did I do that for my own sanity to be like, oh, maybe they're not talking about me, even though I know. I would also do it to just kind of keep up appearances, which, um, you know, I guess did me some justice in that regard. You know, I didn't get beat up at school for commenting back on some guy's tag, you know. Would you still class that as cyberbullying or not? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, when you're that age, you're even more, like, I don't know if you're even more, but, like, vulnerable to, like, self-harm yeah. and, like, suicide and stuff. That time in your life is when you're kind of, like, deciding what you want to be and you're really struggling with it. And, you know, when you get that kind of self-confidence and people start stripping it away from you, You've never had it's it hard, before. Man. Yeah. It's absolutely obliterating. And, you know, when you're older, you become numb to that sort of stuff. You know, people say kids are the worst. I'd say everybody's pretty like, pretty bad, you know. But, yeah, kids can be pretty, pretty brutal. But I think they're the most brutal because you're the most vulnerable state at that point in your life. You know, a lot of men do, and, and like, not men, just generally people do, like, bad things to themselves or, you know, the other thing. When they're older and stuff, but I don't know. I feel like you feel it the most when you're that age. You know, you feel it the mm. most when you're younger. And then after that, it just slowly but surely, you're just like, oh, another thing. It's like, you know, you learn to take the hits. They're still sore, but, you know, you just don't care anymore. Slowly become numb to it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. No, 100%. And you said that the main symptom of your autism that you struggled with in the past was emotional regulation and yes. feeling emotions more extremely on either end of the spectrum so how did that affect you and also with the cyberbullying did it make it i mean obviously everyone would feel bad for being cyberbullied you know I, i've been cyberbullied myself pretty badly so did it almost make you feel worse because of how strongly you felt emotions on either end um I mean, obviously, I can't tell, like, how I would have felt if I had, like, a normal... Yeah, sure. Emotion. Normal in air quotes, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, like, I... If I could compare the two and I had both at that time, like, I'd be able to tell you, but, like, I know that it made me 
it made it very difficult. I had to get like some pretty strong antidepressants from the doctors. That was the first string of my antidepressants. And from then on, that's been me, you know, <laughs> antidepressants. When you start, you just don't stop. That should be their slogan, you know. And um, I started them and that's, I suppose that helped a little bit. But, you know, credit where it's due to me. When I had my little glow up and stuff, it was kind of sabotaged by the fact that all these girls would kind of make fun of me now because I made these singing videos. So, you know, I didn't get really get like, like my friends, for example, when they had their glow up, shall we say, when they slicked their hair back and started wearing a bit cooler clothes, you know, they had a lot more girl attention, a lot of girls like sending them little notes and stuff. I didn't get that because even the girls that did maybe find me attractive, I don't know how many there were because none of them showed themselves. And the reason they didn't is because either they were embarrassed. Yes, the, the social stigma if they had declared yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So like, that kind of ruined the last few years of my high school because I couldn't have a relationship because no one wanted to be with me. And it wasn't necessarily because they didn't find me attractive. I don't know if they did or didn't. It was genuinely because no one wanted to be... It sounds really sad, you know? That no is one... sad. That's sad, bro. That's sad. Yeah, like no one wanted to be with me because of that, you know? And like I remember... Like, I looked back recently on, like, school yearbook and stuff. I, like, everybody had these, like, big paragraphs and stuff. <laughs> I I had, I think, one message, and it was from some guy that was just clearly making fun of me being, like, top-notch singer. And that was it. Like, that was the only thing that I had written. Like, nobody wrote anything else. And, you know, looking at that, it's very hard because it's, like, you know, I... All I wanted to do from that, I remember when I first made that first video, it's because I was shy and I didn't have that many friends and I just wanted people to like me, you know? And so when, when I released that and people, the first few videos, people were like, ah, oh, that's actually pretty good, man. Well done. But I guess they thought, oh, he's done too many now. He needs to be pulled down a peg, you know? Mm. And it's like, why? 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 What? Tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? Especially amongst kids. Yeah. It's tall poppy but, syndrome. People hate someone being themselves to that degree. Yeah. And I mean, to a regard though, I'm glad it happened because a big factor of me being who I am today is getting past the hurdle of caring what they were saying. Because at some point down that road, I stopped caring about the comments. I don't know when, and I don't really know how. I think it was the first time I ever sang to an audience which was in this gig for Gambia thing or something. It's like it's your standard charity show that is put on and they get musicians from the school to form bands or have bands that already have formed and play after school hours for a charity event, you know? So I, I initially was going to do that with my friends who were already kind of in a band. My friends kind of mistreated me. They weren't really good friends to me mm. in high school. They would kind of like, really hone in on social status and and they would kind of make me know in a lot of ways that like they were kind of embarrassed at times to be my friend you know they make fun of it and sometimes some of them would be there for me if i needed it you know sometimes even you know they even joined in on some of the um some of the videos they weren't your friends then bro That's yeah experience no exactly you know like and i came to realize that none of my high school friends really were my friends the one that i would have classed as my best friend just randomly after just before my 21st birthday just stopped speaking to me 
and for like two years he just didn't message me and i've met up with him once since and you know i didn't tell him this but it was more about closure i just kind of wanted to see what i was like around him there and you know i realized how different he was you know like i, I realized that a big thing of it was that he was genuinely just like socially done with life i probably reminded him of his past and he just needed to get away from it all and that's fine sometimes you have to be selfish with that but you know a, a message or a call would have been great you know and it just shows me that it's like you know what the one person that i thought maybe cared about me didn't really or didn't enough to even like fathom a message being like i'm going to stop speaking to you for my own personal growth i'm really sorry and his excuse was you know, the longer he left it, the harder it was to message me. And I'm like, right, great excuse, mate. Then just don't leave it long, you know, or better yet, just grow some balls, man. I'm supposed mm. to be your best friend. But, I mean, I don't I don't harbor any grudges now for it. I just don't care. You know, it's like, that's fine. You do you. I wish you all the best. But, like, we're not friends, you know. You're just a person that I wish would have been a better friend with me and mm. and that's just unfortunate you just weren't able to do that and i wasn't able to i guess give you the friendship you needed either so a learning curve given all of that mate do you feel like you've proven yourself right now yeah no 100 percent. i definitely do think so yeah i think my perseverance as a singer obviously i, I mainly went to drums because i did want to do the singing for those few years but then i kind of just like I didn't care what people thought and I didn't quit for them. I just quit for me because I was like, you know what? I'm going to do some drumming and stuff, see how that works. And then singing kind of just came back to me by chance. So, I mean, it's obvious that that was something I was supposed to do because otherwise the opportunity wouldn't have arise for me to, to do that, to go down that path. And, you know, I learned a lot from being a drummer and that's fine. But, yeah, I think that, the personal growth that, that the bad and the good from that time in my life gave me is exactly what I needed. So I don't resent those people. They're kids and they're idiots. And, you know, all I can wish for them is that they've grown up. Some of them probably won't have. Some of them will still be in their high school. I'm better than you phase. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, you know, I'll still walk past some of them when I'm buying something from Tesco, you know, and it's like you're there. And, and I'm still struggling to get by as well. So we're on the same level here right now, mate. You know, and if I get famous, I'm still on the same level as you in the aspect of as a person. Like, that doesn't change anything when, how obnoxious, if I get famous. But the prospect is, these people seem to think that they're in a higher social chain than me, or they did. <laughs> and I just hope to God they don't think that anymore because, you know, when you work and you realize, no, doesn't matter if you like this person or not you know you treat them with a bit of respect and so you know i guess all i can hope for them is they learn that maybe they won't ever learn that what they did to me was wrong but they, they learn that doing that in general isn't something they can do anymore but for me yeah i i'm glad it all happened because as much as it was painful it needed to happen to put me in the state the mental state that i needed to be to be this person well speaking of seeing people in tesco's and other similar events after i got bullied in the years that followed especially since starting vent i had a few shall we call them guilty crawlbacks 
whereby people who had bullied me tried to send messages to me. And I've spoken about this on previous podcasts where they were doing it more to feel better about themselves rather than actually feeling sorry, in my opinion. And some of them would trigger me quite badly. And it took a lot of mental strength not to call them a C word and say, you've done X, Y, and Z. How dare you message me, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't. And I'm quite proud of myself for doing that. Has that ever happened to you? And how did you react? Um, I suppose the closest I got was I went to my local bar and a few of the like popular guys that, you know, some of them used to be quite brutal to me, but some of them weren't that bad. We're all kind of kicking about. And they spotted me from across the bar and they were like, oh my God, it's Ryan Connor. And I was like, yo, all right, what's happening? <laughs> I thought, this is great. Don't give them the same energy back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not even, I'm not even had a drink yet, man. Like, I've, I'm not ready for your nonsense, you know? So anyway, they asked me to come over and they asked if I want a drink. And I'm like, all right, here we go. What's going to happen here? I need to watch this drink, you know? I'm not trusting these guys. So anyway, I have the drink and they're actually like chatting away to me and stuff, but I'm still on edge. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. You're self-aware very highly. You're very, you're very highly self-aware. Yeah. We're all grown adults now, you know, like give me your best shot. I don't really care anymore, but I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I watch it just in case, you know, you know, we're in my local bar as well, which I don't think they come to as regularly as me. And they've never played it. So, you know, all these bartenders are going to be on my side. A lot of the people there are, like, a fan of my, like, my music or, you know, something. So, like, I'm reasonably calm because I don't feel like I'm at a place here. I think that they're the ones that are, like, they're coming yes. into kind of my area. You know, as much as they live here, too, they, they're not there nearly as much as me, you know. So I know people here that will have my back. And I know people here that would wage for me. You know, I'm not just going to be on my own here. So I feel like, okay, give it your best shot, mate. Anyway, they just speak to me loads. And we end up like sitting down and stuff and having a few more drinks. And I started to realize, you know, when I get a little bit more tipsy in that, these guys are genuinely just talking to me as a person. Like they've completely forgotten what they did to me. And they're not out here to apologize to me. They're not even out here to make fun of me. They're out here because they're genuinely happy to see me and they want to know how I'm doing, which blew my mind. I was like, what? So, you know, this is the thing. These guys have moved past that social status. And as much as maybe an apology would have been great, you know what? For me, I don't need an apology because it made me who I am. For me, the best part of that was the fact that they've actually grown into reasonably good members of society and nice guys. And that is an apology enough for me because now I know that they've learned from anything, something and became a decent person. And so we ended up like going and like dancing about and that nothing bad happened that entire night. Like, so, you know, it's not like, you know, a sort of callback to that. They didn't give me any trauma. Like it genuinely made me understand that some people genuinely will end up being nice people and you don't need to hold grudges on people. You know, if, if you meet them when you're older and they're still the same, and you go, wow, what a loser, you know? But give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, at, at some points. Always keep your wits about you, but don't be afraid to just enjoy yourself and don't worry about people from your past. Don't let it trigger you and stuff because some people genuinely don't even realize what they've done to you. And 
you know, if they did, like I could have said, like we were drunk and I had plenty of opportunities to be like, you guys really made high school, you know, bad for me at times. But they weren't the worst there. Like they weren't, they didn't do the worst, but they did some stuff, you know. And so I could have said that. And I know for a fact, just from gauging how they were as people now, they would have felt awful. And I was like, I don't need to do that. Like, I don't need to make them feel awful. What I can do is have a good night with them and forgive and forget and move on and realize that they've became a better person. I've became a better person all as well in the world. And, you know, they were with some of the girls from high school and me and all them were dancing, like all the guys. And I noticed a lot of the girls were still in that social status chain because they were looking mm-hmm. and glowering at me like, why are they dancing with Ryan? And it just made me think, wow, some people just never change, but some people do, you know? And yeah, so so seeing those girls and that and the way they looked at me, like they just weren't interested at all. They were like, gross, Ryan, you know, why is he here? You know, and I think a couple of them made some jokes or something. And it was quite funny. There was this one moment that I remember specifically. The guy that like kind of bullied me the most a little bit out of all of those guys. Still wasn't too much, but one of the girls, you know, came up to me and was like, I don't think it was karaoke night, which makes it even more stupid. Just how, it just shows how brain dead she she must be, you know. But it was like like a like a DJ night, and they would play like yep. rock songs and stuff. So it wasn't like club because it was pub music. So it was like you know anything from Oasis to White Stripes, you know. They were playing loads of songs like that, and I think one of the only things she said to me is, "Are you not going to sing a song, the famous Ryan Connor, right?" And I just remember that sinking me a little bit, and then. Right after that, one of the guys that bullied me and stuff went, oh, fuck off and get us a drink. <laughs> and I remember she looked at him and glowered and then stormed off. And he, he just went, don't worry about her, mate. She's just raging that I haven't pulled her yet tonight. <laughs> I was like, fine. <laughs> Thank you for that, you know? You know, he just doesn't, he doesn't care. I was like, I just had mad respect for those guys after that. And I thought, you know, I hope a lot of other people that you know that not just you know bullied me bullied other people end up growing into a a reasonable member of society and i hope the people that are bullied also do that and and no no grudges are harbored because you don't know what you'd be without being bullied you don't know what that person would be they might be awful they might not have learned how to deal with hate and then it affects them way worse when Mm. when it happens you know so you know I'm sort of grateful for the lessons I learned from all that. Going back to your autism, mate, how has it helped your creativity as an artist, whether that's in songwriting, how you feel on stage, or even the way you make connections in the industry when it comes to socialising? Because it can be a hindrance or it can be a big benefit, depending on how and where you are on the spectrum, I guess. So I think with my autism and stuff, I guess there's a level of... I need to keep my wits about me with what I say because I'm I'm very impulsive. And in the moment, because <laughs> of my general lack of care that is a pro now, it can land me in a lot of trouble if I'm not careful. I'll just say some stupid stuff that I don't think about. And it's become quite the the funny thing for me and my band to deal with on the daily. They don't find it that funny, but I have to, you know. At the end of the day, I'm a front man and I need to watch what I say and obviously be understanding of everybody and their feelings, just like people should have been when I was younger. But I also, you know, need to be able to use the pros of that and understand that, you know what, I have a different mind to a lot of other people in the scene. So, you know, I can 
bring a different outlook. And so, yeah, it's, it's so far, nothing bad's happened. I can't guarantee that won't happen, but I also <laughs> think a lot of good will happen as well. I try and be the most of myself possible without ruining everyone's day, you know? I suppose that's the best way to do it. Let's come back to music now, because you describe music to me off air as your go-to pill in helping your mental health and giving you an outlet for expressing your emotions. Just tell me what you meant by that, and is there a particular song that maybe encapsulates that from La Mantra? So basically what I, what I kind of meant by that is it's just like, you know, everybody takes, you know, their, their medications. Well, not everybody, but like most people are pretty drugged up these days. It's the world we live in, which is absolutely awful. But, you know, there's not really a medical pill for like autism or just generally the way I feel a lot of the time with my emotions. So, you know, dealing with that when I was younger was a difficult task. And, you know, where do I pour all this unneeded emotion and so that you know when that would go into like singing and like making music and I think a big factor of why I can really feel passionate about the music I I write and sing is because you know I've got so much emotion that that it almost like I have to write songs to just release it and get it get it away from me because it's just it's overbearing at times you know and yeah tablets can help but that is essentially the one the one pill that that will always take that will never have any negatives, you know, it'll always give me that room to escape and it's free. I don't need any money to get it and I don't need to get off my ass and go to the pharmacy to collect the prescription. It's great. I can take it whenever I want and I never overdose and it's great. I love it. So good. Music is, you know, is, is what you make it. And for me, it is a drug. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, for me, it's it's a tool to to help relieve all of my unneeded stress and mm. emotion. And um, you know, without it, I don't know where I'd be. But um, you know, one of the songs because it's kind of like it's good because this specific song we wrote ages ago. It's called Wave Goodbye Mode. We're actually releasing it in like a few weeks. So hopefully everybody gets a chance to listen to it and and hear it. It's mainly about being indecisive in a relationship, but, you know, wave goodbye mode is essentially just like kind of like being indecisive and and being like, okay, I've got to go. You know, when the going gets tough, I get going, you know, and in in all aspects of life that, you know, hones in on like emotional response and like feeling overwhelmed and and feeling struggle within yourself and not knowing what to do in a situation and so I can relate to that quite heavily and I think a lot of people can so you know definitely check that out it's quite an energetic song but at the same time you know the the lyrics kind of portray quite a indecisive struggle so Mm. you know writing songs like that definitely helped me pen on paper the kind of like I don't know the the confusion that goes on in my head on the daily you know and if anybody can relate to that that's great but if not i can so i'll just listen to it loads you know i don't mind before we reflect you said something quite unfiltered to me off air maybe it was a trait of your autism that's coming out which i found quite profound actually you said i use the pain to write something beautiful so when i look back on it i can say i'm a little bit fucked up in the head but i've made a good tune there is that your greatest strength i would say so yeah, I mean, you've got to look at the positives in life. 
Otherwise, you're going to have a pretty boring and sad life, you know? You're mm. always looking at the negatives, which is very hard not to do. Don't get me wrong. I feel pity and also understand why people sometimes end up becoming pessimists and stuff, but I think it's pretty dull life, you know? And so if I can do anything with all this unbridled rage or pain, just like anybody wants to, you know, I have this luck that I can put that into something else. And so, you know, if I have a really bad time and I can manage to gain something out of that, in this case, I good song you know good is obviously decide, <laughs> but you know good to me then that's great you know and and I, I all i wish is that other people if they have pain they can use it as a tool for something else like it is the best gift and if i could just go around giving that to everybody then that would be great but then maybe not the songwriting thing because then i might not i might be out of uh, luck you know it's already going to be hard for me to get my music out there if everyone else is doing that then no i will not so so you guys can do something but find something else please don't do that one so would you say that writing and performing music or just music generally is your way of owning your shit yeah i would say so i think it's not always easy writing something that you can really feel but um when you do it and when you get past that it really does feel special and um you know, each time that I'm able to do that and really do it, sometimes it's hard to write it properly. And sometimes you end up being like, I hate this. This sucks. This doesn't, this doesn't express it well at all. See, when you get it right and you really express how you felt in that moment and it becomes something that actually sounds good too. You're like, damn, that was, that was worth all that pain because I made something I would have never made in a different circumstance. So it's great. It really does, really does help with everything let's reflect on your mental health journey now mate so a similar question as before what has it taught you about yourself and b if you could go back and talk to that ryan who was being cyber bullied and having to mask his autism the ryan who was trying to figure out whether he wanted to be a drummer or a front man or the ryan who was struggling to regulate those hyper emotional states what would you say to him knowing what you do now uh what was a or should I go for B first? A was what has it taught you about yourself? Okay, it's taught me that life is, you know, always going to be ruthless and I can determine what I do with that pain. I can either hold it and let it get the better of me or I can make it into something worthwhile and use it as motivation. And, you know, unlike maybe some people, I have the mentality to be able to do that, to be able to use my pain as, as fuel for something something else and so I'm um, you know that's that's definitely one thing that, that this you know everything that's happened to me has taught me that pain can be a strength and something that I can use if I could go back and speak to myself I don't know I, I don't think I'd speak to myself to warn myself because then I wouldn't become myself and I think as much as it was hard you know I needed it I guess there would just be some times you know where I would go back and like see like you know prom like the prom night or whatever you know i'd like try and find a way to like i don't know if i'd like the idea of dancing with myself but like i was at, i didn't dance with anyone at prom you know one wanted to dance with me sad face but you know like little things like that you know if i could find a way to like 
get the young me to have like one wee dance. It wouldn't affect the overall thing, but it would just give me a nice night, you know, or write something in my yearbook or I don't know, leave a leave like a anonymous comment that was actually a genuinely nice comment, you know, that wouldn't impact everything, wouldn't change the pain I felt, but it would just add a little bit of light into it, I suppose. So I maybe wouldn't speak to him directly, but I would definitely do little things to give him a better day every now and then, you know? Our final topic of conversation, right? And it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. If we have time, it is a general natter and quick fire chat about our mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health, mate? It's absolutely terrible. No, uh, <laughs> it's obviously, it's, it's there, you know, there is some health there and there definitely is some mental there and uh, they kind of blend together pretty well, I would say. You know, we have our ups and downs, struggling, you know, work-life balance is pretty tough, you know, just getting money. I work in an airport, so right now we're in the winter schedule, so there's a lot less money and shifts to go around, which is, you know, it's, it's tough, but, um, you know, hopefully my savings do me some favors i try not to worry too much about finance because that's like i've got enough to worry about but you gotta worry about it some regard otherwise you're gonna have nothing you know you just overspend but yeah no i think mentally i'm doing pretty well um i'm taking everything as it comes i'm not overdoing anything because there's no point i need to just take my time and uh enjoy enjoy everything that i'm doing so yeah it's good and what age were you mate when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realized that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind i thought you were going to just say what age was i when i was self-aware you know how like there's that like <laughs> rumor i don't know if it is when you just get like consciousness you know like at like age four or something and something happens and then you just remember everything why did i say that now i've forgotten the question <laughs> I'm so artistic. <laughs> Jesus. When did you become self-aware of your mental health? Um, I don't even know if I am. Now. Uh, <laughs> now. <laughs> I think, yeah, now that you've mentioned it, this moment. No, um, you know, obviously you've got a lot of people telling you what you have and what you don't. You just have to kind of believe them or not believe them. So, you know, I kind of always knew I was a bit, you know, it was like something. There was something going on. It was slowing me down but somehow speeded me up at the same time. I was somehow slow, but fast. I don't know how that works. But it was probably when I was like four or five, when I went into like primary one, and everyone was just kind of like sitting in their chairs, and I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to stand and run around, I think. And no one seemed to join me. You know, no one seemed to be like, yeah, that sounds like the move. I was like, the hell, guys? There's things to be done, you know? So probably around then, I was like, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's me, you know? Can you remember the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who is it with? What did you say? And what impact did it have? Did it feel like a big moment or a big burden or weight had been lifted or something quite easy and normal to do? Honestly, I, I don't actually remember. I mean, there's probably doctors and stuff, but I was so young, you know, at the time. I didn't really understand it to the fullest, you know, and I didn't really care to understand it. 
they just kind of would talk and I'd be like, yeah, that's great. Can I uh, play with that thing over there, though, while you talk? Because I don't actually care. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was always aware there was a problem, but did I ever actually sit down and, like, there was many serious talks that were had, but were they reciprocated from my end? Probably not. I just tend to kind of zone out when it was that stuff until I was a wee bit older and more responsible. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Now, <laughs> this yeah, conversation. I mean, <laughs> this, this is it, you know? I mean, I've I've had some in the last, you know, obviously a few years, but like, you know, until I was about 12, I would just kind of like get on with it and just try and see. Yeah, there was see, there was serious conversations, but none that come to mind. There was like a moment where I was like, oh, okay, we're talking about mm. this, you know? And what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say to you, a sound, a sensation, being in a particular environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet? I would say... The sound of Scott's voice, that really does trigger me. <laughs> like, every time I hear his stupid voice, I'm just like, this is a, I'm going to sensory overload right here, and everything's going to go downhill. I'm just going to, like, just go crazy. No, um... <laughs> if we, if you listen I've... Scott, we love you. <laughs> no, we don't. I don't. No, I'm joking. Um, but, no, I think, I've never really been a thing on, like, sensory, like, stuff i mean obviously like you know if you you drench me with the water yeah you know like big things but like you know i've never really had any issues with like sensory stuff necessarily or none that i've like like i've noticed so i'm kind of good on that end which is lucky considering you know i work in a bar which would be quite challenging with all the different feelings and and stuff like that no i i, I haven't figured it all out but I can imagine, like, an Apache helicopter would probably make me pretty, like, oh, God, right, that's loud, that's scary, you know? So maybe put that on the list, but... For fair. Conversely, then, this might be an easier question, what positive tools and methods do you use to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have worked and which ones that you've tried but haven't? Listening to music, you know, I almost always have some headphones on, and a lot of the time... I don't have any music on in them. And it's just kind of like a comfort thing that I use. That's an autism trait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, a lot of people be like, what are you listening to? I'm like, you right now, you, but with a slight bit of noise cancelling in case I don't want to listen to you anymore. You know, if we're being honest, you know, like that's it. Like, then I, I'll claim I it's autism on. as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll have them on and they'll be like, I'll be speaking to them fully. You know, most people don't even mention it anymore. And it's just like, it's Ryan, who cares, you know? Obviously, I'll take them off when, like, I'm having, like, a meal with my girlfriend or something. Christ, you know, I'm not a monster. <laughs> like, just, like, in the middle of, like, a steakhouse, just, like, eating a steak with, <laughs> like, on, headphones on. <laughs> like, that'd be crazy, uh, you know? But a lot of the time, you know, if I'm, like, walking down the street with somebody and, like, I've just met them, I'll probably still have my headphones on just because I've forgot to take them off or something or whatever. And so, you know, that's a big one. What other positives? I do a lot of fidgeting. I don't really notice it at the time, but, you know, that helps me concentrate. And a seriously unhealthy amount of coffee. Like caffeine. <laughs> that, does, that does the trick. 
nothing gets me going like feeling like my veins are literally just made of coffee you know <laughs> good but, advice yeah. what has been the best book or as i call it mental health bible you've read for your mental health now it can be mental health or self-help related it doesn't exclusively have to be and if you can't think of a book an album or a tv show or any piece of popular culture God, I really wish I read more books. I just am so impatient that I can't. It's awful. I think one of the only books I've read in the last ten years was this book called like Gone, where like everybody on like over a certain age disappeared and then the, the people <laughs> That sounds that like stayed... an M Night Shyamalan film. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's like but the, the people that stayed all got like specific powers, but when they aged to that age, they would disappear. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah, it was pretty weird, and um, that taught me nothing. Like, that taught me absolutely <laughs> nothing. I don't even know why I brought it up. Like, just a random book about superpowers and stuff. What about an album, yeah. then? Uh, an album. Uh, there's a few albums, but I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Because like, there's loads of albums I like, but have they taught me something? Do you know what I mean? Um. Wow, I'm drawing a blank here. It's so annoying. <laughs> Shall um, we move on? I'm just trying to think if I can think of anything, then we can cut it so that I never, <laughs> never did it. No, this is staying in. <laughs> no. <laughs> Breaking Bad taught me how to cook meth. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I really learned that from that. God, you know That what? was a joke, it's... listeners. Anyone yes, who's listening, was, that was a was. joke. I've never tried to cook meth. I don't know how to do it. Let's move on. Let's move yeah. on. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> if there was a la mantra in life that summed up your mental health, what would it be and why? Um, it sounds really basic, but probably like carpe diem, seize the day, you know, very much me. I try and make sure that I'm seizing any opportunity to, to make it a good day, to be optimistic, to be my own self. So, I mean, that definitely, definitely comes to mind as one for me mm -hmm. anyway. So I'll say that. I'll say, I'll say carpe diem. I won't leave you hanging like I did with the last one. That was awful. Like 20 minutes of just clueless. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I'm either talking for one minute or 30 minutes. No, <laughs> no middle ground there. I've got two questions left. The first one yeah. is, what do you love about yourself? Oh, God. Um, I've got pretty nice eyes. Uh, no. <laughs> Qualities? I, traits? Uh, yeah, I think my humour definitely gets me a long way. It has to. Jesus. Uh, this crooked nose, the humour has to do everything for me, you know? I think my humour and my lack of like care for people's opinions, which I've probably discussed more than anything on this, <laughs> on this podcast. I think yeah, I think both of those things are, are very key traits to being to being me. If I didn't have my humour and, and that lack of care for, for things, then um, you know, I wouldn't be able to really enjoy my life to the fullest. So yeah. And as a final question, mate, this is a broad one. What more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds or walks of life feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if, most importantly, they want to do it? I guess a big issue is, you know, a lot of people claim, oh, yeah, men should be vulnerable. But then, like, with the second they do it, 
I don't know. I've seen a lot of this stuff where it's like, are we just talking about men? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. I've seen a lot of this stuff where like women say like, yeah, you know, um, my boyfriend should cry in front of me. And then there's been like polls done where it's like the likelihood of like women to leave after a man cries. And like the, the actual factual statistics are like really high. Mm. So it's like you're telling us to, that we can cry. And then when we're when we actually feel comfortable enough about you to cry, most of you leave. Like that's crazy, you know. Like that that'd make anybody want to never do that again. And then you bought it's like the uh, then... it's like the Admiral Akbar meme, isn't it? It's a trap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like you know, it's not just with women. It's like you know, with other men especially. There's this whole like this is why this is one of the reasons like I hate like football. I don't mind the sport, like I can watch it, but like I just think the whole like football mentality is just so and it's not just football, it's a lot of sports, but like people just care more the about the mentality than yeah. the sport. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so it can be so obnoxious and so like oh yeah, manly. Like it's like why is it so like that? You know, why can't people just like see if you went to a football game with eyeliner on, even just that guarantee you people would be like taking the piss out of you it's like what that's crazy like women they will put each other down a lot but they'll also like at least in public eye like support each other pretty heavily you know it's like why why don't we do that as men because the way we show love is taking the piss out of each other that's what we yeah that is fine and sometimes that's fun but you know it would be nice every now and then if you went out with like some absolutely banging outfit and you know subconsciously even though you're like trying to pretend you don't care with a swagger about you subconsciously if like you know if a woman comes up to you and gives you a compliment that's fine but see if another guy does and you're out for drinks goes mate that jacket's but that's that's fucking well cool you'd actually be like that's awesome thank you so much this other guy yeah we need to get really better cool. at it don't we yeah yeah like just giving just giving each other compliments and uh, to be fair in the music scene every now and then, you know, if I go to a bar or something, I'll get guys coming up and saying, that's a banging outfit you've got on. And that makes my day. It's as simple as that. And I do it quite regularly. When I see a good outfit, I'm not afraid to tell that person, like, that's a cool outfit. I wish I'd wore something like that. Because not only do I know it makes their day, but it's like, I want to say it because it's a cool outfit. And I'd like people to know that I, I am aware of that. I don't know. I just feel like we need to be a bit more forward with each other in a positive way. Because if you, you know, if you're, if everyone's going to be so forward in negative ways all the time, can we at least, if we can't change that, match it with the positive ways as well? You know, like if we're if we're all going to like start like drunken brawls and stuff, and that's never going to change, and people are just going to be idiots and shout and swear at people, can we at least alleviate that with if you're feeling in a positive mood, show it as well? You know, that would come a long way. That is a great way to end it. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on my Behind the Mic series and talking to me, mate. Yeah, not a problem. It's an absolute blast. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to Ryan for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go Behind the Mic with him. That La Mancha track I mentioned in the intro, The Glass Will Play Us Out, and I'll put all of La Mantra's streaming and social media links in the show notes. As always, do give them a listen. They are definitely going to go far very, very soon. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this podcast a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it and spread the word about Vent and the podcast. If you're feeling generous, do write us a review on Apple Podcasts 
or give us a five-star rating, or you can also support our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk, or you can go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk, or one word, to find out more about all the other ways you can financially support Vent. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Lies of second nature. I'm out of luck, running out of friends. Too. I told them I'm not sure how to love you. The glasses on the failure. But I get lost in the mirror. It paints a picture. The picture never, ever looks that familiar. I try to keep my distance, ignore my instincts. But my blood pressure. Thought